0: Come on and listen. We got suggestions on the Bird Talker radio. If your bird's misbehaving, we'll help you save it on the Bird Talker radio. If your bird's getting rowdy, just call and say howdy on the Bird Talker radio. We are birds of a feather. We'll stick together on the Bird Talk Radio dot com. A parrot on its own in the wild is bait. Um, it, now, when the female's sitting on eggs, the male is hanging out with other males in a communal roost tree where the males are, and they go forage and feed and get some food and bring it back to the female. But you'll never see parrots on their own in the wild. It's so incredibly rare. But here's another thing and i've seen this so many times in australia and south america at sunup every morning the parrots the jungle is alive with sound parrots yelling and screaming and again in the evening the communal roost trees, it's alive all the birds are yelling and screaming and what that vocalization means is we're safe everything's right with the world nothing to worry about loud raucous noise from other parrots around that means everything's good when the are communicating the forest goes,
1: their happiness that it, when, everything's yeah, when okay the forest, right.
0: when the forest goes quiet is when all the birds get tense because that means there's a predator there's a snake there's a cat there's an eagle oh, silence is a problem in the wild because that means watch out there's danger so I wrote back and I said, so when you take that bird out of that loud chaotic and put it in your, um, in your house and you leave it alone uh, every day when you go to work and it's quiet there, uh, I don't know, man. I, if, if somebody were to describe what abuse is and you ask your bird, I'll bet you that bird would say there's more abuse going on right now than when I was in that pet shop with all those,
1: because other it's quiet. Around.
0: Because and it's quiet, the bird and the bird
1: understands the quiet.
0: Well, nature tells the bird, be a, a parrot, Yeah, it, when everything's loud, everything's that's why you got the vacuum cleaner running, the bird is yelling and screaming. It, it's because <laughs> it's joining in that loud chorus. It says everything is fine. Mm. So there's a lot to learn. About uh, companion parrots, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of behavior that sometimes we can relate to wild parrot behavior, and this is one of the uh, really good things about being able to see parrots in the wild. You can see their natural history and their natural behavior, and I use that a lot when I think about training birds. You know, all the parrots that we have here, they all have parr- uh, partners. They all have partners, um, and we we talked earlier that. Uh, we like parent-raised birds. Now, we do a little bit of breeding here at the ranch, just for birds that we want to have in our programs, or maybe someday be released if it's a blue-throated macaw. And we let our our macaws um, parent raise all their chicks. We don't have any hand-raised birds if we can help it, um, mainly because they're you know they, they're they're more stable and solid. The chicks, we have four blue throats that just fledged from one nest last week. And these youngsters come out wary of people, but now they're calming down. The parents come over and take a peanut out of our hand in this big flight pen where they're uh, breeding. And then the chicks come over and start learning how to eat from people. And they develop their relationship that way. So, um, but a hand-raised bird, hand-raised bird is going to be mushy, fall all over you, and, and when it flies, it crashes into you. We don't really start handling our parent, parent-raised parent birds until they're flying in a 60-foot-long flight and they're really confident in these flights. Even though through the wire, we're still feeding them peanuts out of our hands and stuff like that. But that leads me to free flight. I, I know there's a lot of people that want to uh, free flight their birds outside. You know, I've been doing it, you know, since the 70s. and um, It looks attractive and people think that it's easy because when you see an expert do it, it may look easy, but it's the most difficult thing that we do. And and I train all types of animals from elephants to tigers to everything else you can imagine in zoos. That's what I do. I'm a behavior consultant at zoos now. Um, And so I travel a couple hundred days a year helping zoos around the world learn keepers learn how to train their animals for Um, um, medical exams and husbandry, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, um, it takes a lot of work to free fly a bird. the The most important part is to have a bird that has good flight skills. So a lot of people have parrots that were in their first year, their wings were clipped, but now in their second, third, fifth year, whatever, their wings have grown in, and people think that bird can fly now because it has full wings. It can't fly because it missed the opportunity to learn the skills and the coordination when it was six months old or four months old or eight months old, depending on what species. That's when nature tells it, learn how to fly. But it missed the opportunity.
1: And there's muscle development and flying too? Yes, absolutely. So it missed all that. Now, right
0: now, in year four, it can fly. When something scares it, it can fly and it flies straight until it hits a wall or an object. So unless the bird uh, was full flight as a, as a chick and fled sinest, um, hopefully with its parents <clears throat> and learned the flight skills in a big aviary, we have 60 foot long aviaries um, that are 18 feet high and 30 feet wide. So, unless it learns those skills when it's young, it's going to be really hard for them to learn the skills later. So, if anybody ever wants to free fly a parrot, we start with having a big open space that's protected so the bird can learn to fly. Um, And once they develop those skills, then what we do before we ever fly bird free outside, we have to, we have this system. A bird has to fly in the pen that it's in, super um, sufficient. And then we train it into a crate or a cage, a portable cage, and we take it to another flight pen that they've never been in before. And then after that, to a big netted area where it's never been before. So these birds have to fly in three different novel areas they've never seen before. And they have to fly with control and good recall that when we call the bird, it comes right back to us. So. We have to gain the confidence ourselves that this bird's gonna be reliable when the first time we let it out in, in
1: the how nature. do you recall them? And then we how do you get them to uh, come back? What? I, I just yeah, thought and I'd it, ask I've seen a lot of this and it it's like they just whistle or wave their hand or something. How do you do that? Yeah.
0: And it's it, there's no magic to it. It's just that when you're flying them in your house or in our flight pins or something, it's a cue. We pick our hand up, and that just picking our hand up is a cue for the bird to come land on our hand. Now, if we're flying them a long distance, we might also call their name, or we might also wave. But really, it's just up to the bird whether it wants to fly back and land on your hand. There's nothing magic about the cue, the sound, the sign, the the waving or anything like that—that that really has very little to do with it. The bird flying back to a person is all about the relationship the bird has with that person, the skills the bird has in flying, the reinforcement history associated with landing on the hand the last time. I mean, there are so many things
1: the that trust uh, determine relationship whether you've or built not already, yeah, that kind of
0: yeah. Thing you've has. got to have a huge trust relationship with that bird, and you build that through positive reinforcement. And you build that by giving that bird a voice through its body language. When that bird says, no, I don't want to step on your hand, you don't make it step on your hand. This is such a hard thing for people to understand. They say, well, it's time to come out of the cage. And they go scoop the bird up. That's when people get fed. So we never scoop a bird up. We put our hand by the perch. If the bird walks over two or three or four steps and steps up on our hand, then we'll take him out of the cage. If the bird won't walk over and step up on our hand, then we don't make them. Now, we find treats, favorite treats, peanuts, sunflower seeds that we can use in limited quantities as a treat. Then they have their pellets and their fruits and vegetables all the time so that they always have plenty of food. But we train them for the treats, the favorite treats, peanuts, sunflower seeds and uh, other nuts and things. But it's a complicated issue. It may look easy to see somebody come a free. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, well, treat based training. Treat right. based.
1: So you, you select the, the high
0: treatment.
1: value food and exactly. use that. And I'm, see, I've learned some of this, Steve, from other people on the show, like Ginger Duplessis, that, that taught me about this. Um, that. Uh, well, uh, the, the treat-based training, food-based training, the, they uh, put uh, five or six nuts in a bowl and see which one the bird goes, through, goes for first and use that as a high-value treat for training.
0: Right. That's a good way to start is find out what the bird wants first and use that as a high-value. One thing about high-value reinforcers is that they can change. You might give the guy two peanuts, all of a sudden he's satiated on peanuts, but to bring out a walnut, and all of a sudden he's got motivation for the walnut or sunflower seeds or something else.
1: So true. But all of these... And so true. I just experienced it, yeah. Steve. I have, a, oh, yeah. I have a blue and gold macaw that I've had about five years. Loves almonds. Recently, oh, yeah. he let me know he likes peanuts better.
0: Right, <laughs> but yeah, I was reluctant to
1: feed peanuts because of their problems with yeah. the shells and that kind of thing. But I found a good, a good batch of peanuts that that didn't have mold and stuff, and and I thought, uh, well, I want to see if Max likes these too, and I wanted to put a little weight on him, so I'm yeah. feeding him a little bit of peanuts. Um, even though it's springtime, Max was a little underweight, so I've been feeding him some yeah. peanuts for a couple of well, weeks.
0: And you know what we do with our peanuts, Mike? Uh, we microwave all of our peanuts for five to ten seconds, and that kills the bacteria and the mold and anything like that. But we always microwave the peanuts. Oh,
1: good Just suggestion. a few
0: seconds. Yeah, I'll start doing that. Yeah, that will just wipe kill out all bacteria. the bacteria. Yeah, it's it's a it's a pretty important part of what we do. I think, you know. Uh, We've got a lot of birds here and we keep them as healthy as we can, obviously, but we don't a lot of little tricks like that. And um, that's one of the important things. The other thing here in Florida, it gets pretty hot. So in the summer, we don't leave our produce, fruits and vegetables out in the bo- in the bird's bowl for more than a half an hour, because once that stuff heats up, it can uh, grow, grow uh, E. coli bacteria and things. That can be a big problem.
1: Mm. Right, yeah, like moldy salad. Yeah, yeah. Steve, how do we build trusting relationships? I'm looking at your list. Yeah, we can talk as long as you want. I'm all
0: right. Well, it's it's a really good point because it's such an important part of having a companion parent is having a trusting relationship. We know what trust looks like because we see trust in a bird when it voluntarily walks over and steps up on our hand Uh, or if the bird is flighted when the bird voluntarily flies over and lands on your hand Uh, we see a lack of trust when we open a cage door and the bird walks away from us and goes to the bottom of the cage that's a bankrupt trust account going to the bottom of the cage so we build trust with birds Uh, I like to do it in protected contact. That means with the bird inside the cage, you give it treats, you walk by, you hand it a little piece of peanut or you drop a peanut piece in the the bowl and you just keep walking so that every time you walk by, the bird gets a little treat. Every time you walk by, technically it's called counter conditioning. And so non-contingent food, it's just don't even stop, talk to the bird or anything, walk by, put a treat in the bowl pretty soon that bird will be sitting there waiting for you to come up to the bowl to put a treat in it. And um, and then you start feeding them out of your hand, treats out of your hand. And you do that as often as you can during the day. You've got to make sure you have a well-balanced diet and you might want to vary the different types of treats that you're giving them. But once that bird's sitting there and eating out of your hand, now you've, got, you've made a lot of deposits into that trust account by giving those treats. Some people I've heard say, well, you should stand there and tell the bird how beautiful he is and speak kindly and softly to him and um, you know, wiggle your finger like you want to scratch his head. A lot of times those things do more harm than good because when you're standing there talking to the bird, that bird, if it's plastered against the far side of the cage, you're taking trust out of the account when that bird can't get away from you. That's a big withdrawal from the trust account. Uh, Even though you're saying nice things, a bird doesn't understand what you're saying, they don't, Um, but uh, you're standing there talking softly and kindly to them, and you can be pulling trust out of the account if the bird's moved away from you. So that's why walking by, doing the counter conditioning, walk by, drop a peanut, just keep going. Yeah, I mean, They don't care too much about your body language, but you should care a lot about their body language. Anytime you make a bird nervous, you see that where the feathers slick down on the head, quick look, moving away, things like that. Anytime you make a bird nervous, you're taking trust out of your trust account. Every time, take a little bit of trust. You always want to be putting deposits into the trust account. The more deposits you make, then when you finally have to do something that the bird doesn't like, like um, trimming his toenails, putting a towel around him to trim his toenails or something, you make a withdrawal, but you don't bankrupt the account. You're just taking a little bit of trust out of that high trust account that you build over time. Now, a lot of birds, especially hand raised birds, like their heads scratched, you know, scratch under their feathers. Some birds will like it under their wings. But I see people all the time petting a parrot like they would a dog. Petting with a flat hand from the head down the back of the parrot. And that's really unnatural for a parrot. I see this all the time where I see people with companion parrots and they hold them up to their chest and they're petting the parrot. I see cockatoos that are sort of brownish from the oils on people's hands getting on the birds and the dust causing the parrot to be brown. Um here's my my philosophy and my thought I've never yet seen a parrot that likes to be pet they like a lot of them like their head scratch just like another bird preening their the feathers and stuff but when you put your hand over that bird's back to pet it if you're really attentive to the bird's body language that bird will tense up for just a moment and they'll submit because they know that they have no, no say in the matter. You're just gonna pet them, and they submit and wait for you to get over it. Um, but I've never seen a bird like it. Now, people like it because we like petting a dog or we like petting a cat. But when you do the same thing to a parrot, you can be pulling trust out of your trust account. Even though the bird doesn't fly away or try to bite you, um, it's learned that you know you're just, he holds still, and you pet them as long as you're wanting to, and then finally you'll stop. But
1: That's when you put your finger up them... Well, when I, you know, I just thought of something, Steve. It, it, by petting a bird on their head, you're aren't, aren't you kind of conflicting with their natural preening activity? Because preening is is a big deal with birds wild or domesticated Um, and when a lot of birds when they preen they pull from the (coughs) base of the feather across the feather to wipe that natural powder across the feather so their feathers don't stick together especially in humid environments which they're all indigenous to um, so they can fly and it probably is more comfortable for the bird um, if their feathers don't stick together and then other birds have the gland you know the oil gland where they wipe their head and wipe their feathers Um, but it could it be that by you know uh, petting them on the head like a dog we're kind of confusing them uh, with their natural preening activity.
0: Yeah, I don't know if we confuse them, but I know that or, um, it does uh, upset some birds. Mm-hmm. But <coughs> as we go farther in the preening thing, birds like a lot of birds like their heads scratched or preened, like you were saying, you know, where you help take that shaft off of a growing feather and stuff. So all that's very natural, but then a lot of birds will let you work your hand down their back and they'll want their their back um, scratched down near their tail. Now you're getting into a dangerous territory because when you start scratching a bird down there on top of its tail, um, it's it's almost like uh, a more intimate sort of preening and you know, I mean, when, when you're that close with a bird, it might increase, breeders. yeah, it might increase the likelihood that bird will bond with a, a particular person. And I'm not saying don't scratch your bird on the back near the tail. I'm just saying that be aware that when that bird bends over and starts soliciting copulation, then you run the risk of having a bond that's really strong, building, developing with that bird. Here's the downside of that, is that once a bird bonds with one person, then they may be more likely to be aggressive to other people in the household. Think of the parrots in the wild. Parrots in the wild, they say they mate for life, which they do typically. And But I saw a show one time, and they had two scarlet macaws, and they said, These scarlet macaws, they mate for life. And if one dies in the wild, then the other one always dies of love, sick. <laughs> so it's not a very good survival strategy <laughs> for the species, right? But they do mate for they life. Would all be and dead. when, <laughs> that's right. And when one bird gets eaten by an eagle, they don't pine away and um, uh, die. What they do is they go get another mate or they hang out with a smaller group of, of birds out there. So, um, and when they're nesting, when they have a breeding territory, they defend that nest hole and that tree that has that nest hole because a nest hole, great breeding areas are hard to find. So they will stand near that hole. Another bird comes up, they'll chase them away. That's about the most important time that two parrots would ever fight is over a nest hole. And, um. So the same sort of happens in companion setup, where let's say the wife has a great relationship with a particular parent, and she's petting it, loving on it and everything, and the husband comes in, and the bird goes over to attack the husband. Anytime the husband comes up to try to pet him, he attacks the husband. And then you even have redirected aggression, where the bird's on the woman's hand and the husband watches in the room, the bird wants to fly over there, but can't fly. So he's so frustrated, he re- reaches down and bites the person's hand he's sitting on, bites the woman he's bonded to. These things happen quite often in companion um, environments, where that bond goes so strong that the bird, I don't know what it's thinking. I believe nobody knows what a parrot's thinking, and it, it's not really that important what a parrot's thinking what's important is what the bird does so when that bond happens and that bird solicits copulation from a person you can almost expect that the bird is going to set up territory and that it's possible that the bird's going to be aggressive to the other members in the house the the constant intruders into the territory now the The neighbor can come over or walk right over and maybe um, go give the bird a peanut without any problem. It's because that parrot doesn't have a, a, a history of aggression with the neighbor. The neighbor is neutral, just passing through the territory like in the wild. But if it's a constant intruder, like in the wild, if the same parrot kept coming and landing in that nestry, having to get chased away, the tolerance that that bird has, that the male has sitting outside, the tolerance letting that bird come into the territory decreases until finally that start coming across a river way over there and this bird's going to go chase him away because he's a repeat offender. Um, and that's where the neighbor thing comes in. A new parrot that the male has never seen might be able to just fly over, land in the tree and the male will give some body language like get out of my territory and the bird will fly away. But when the husband and the family um, goes up to try to pet the parrot, the parrot bites him. well then that's a sh- that's a pretty good sign that it's possible the parrot's bonded to the wife. Now here's a bigger problem and I've seen this online too many times. Too many pseudo experts say, oh no, you have to make friends with that parrot. If he loves the the, the wife, Well, then it's up to you to make sure that the husband, you're the husband, you've got to make sure you make friends with that parrot because that parrot needs to know how much you care. That parrot doesn't care how much you care. That parrot cares what you do. And if that parrot's bonded with the woman, then it's possible that the parrot is going to want you out of the territory. Now, this does not mean that the husband will never have a good relationship with, with the parrot. That doesn't mean that at all. It means a husband has to work harder on building a trust account. Um, and I've seen many times the, bird, the, bond, the, the person the bird's bonded with, in this case, it would be the wife. The wife goes away on vacation for a week, and that bird will transfer that bond over to the husband in a day or two. No problem. Because, you know, it's just like in the wild when a bird gets um, killed by an eagle, the mate just goes and gets another mate. That's all there is. So it's a complicated issue, and this is one of the reasons why parrots make complicated pets is because, you know, they do bond. Once they get the breeding age, five, six, seven, eight years old or more, um, it's possible, and I'm not saying any of this is likely. I'm saying it's possible that the bird might develop a bond with one person in the house, and then either the other person has to work hard at building a trusting relationship through protective contact and treats and things like that, but nature's um, influence is pretty strong, and so it's going to be hard sometimes for um, that bird to be bonded with two
1: people. You are listening to Bird Talk Live Online, a presentation of KC Bird Burwhisper International Productions. These shows are live call-in Bird Talk shows, produced and recorded live from Kansas City. You could be the next guest on Bird Talk Live Online. If you have any type of exotic bird, parrot, cockatoo, conyer, budgie, we would like to share your experience live on air. If you would like to be a guest on the show, call 816-278-2494. That's 816-278-2494 anytime. Or visit birdtalkradio.com for details, show listings, portfolios of recent guests, and advertising opportunities for your business bird talk live online bird talk shows are broadcast 24 7 365 days a year that's 24 hours a day seven days a week 365 days a year benefiting millions of bird keepers all over the world i'm your host mike kiger thank you for tuning in today